back, my friends, to AA Recovery Interviews. I'm your host, Howard L. Sober since January 1st, 1988, one day at a time. I'm grateful that you've joined us. Imagine living most of your life as a moderate or normal drinker, then finding out in your early 60s that alcoholism has slowly taken over your life. My guest today, Judy H., faced this realization that alcohol was killing her from the inside out when she finally came into Alcoholics Anonymous at age 65. Though the what-it-was-like and the what-happened part of her story occurred when she was considerably older than most of my guests, her alcoholism was no less severe and her need for AA just as great. Now, after nearly nine years working a very solid program, Judy's story is one that gives hope to those older alcoholics who may feel it's too late in life to get help. Her frank and unabashed manner of carrying Alcoholics Anonymous's message to those who still suffer has made her an invaluable and trusted servant in her AA community. Her understanding of the disease and her experience getting sober later in life strongly resonate with older alcoholics and provide hope that it's never too late to change and find a new life in AA. So, whether you're listening on the go or on the slow, enjoy the next hour with my guest and AA sister, Judy H. Hi, I'm Judy, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Judy. Thanks for being on the AA Recovery Interviews podcast today. You and I just really met very, very recently in a meeting, a Zoom meeting, and within a very brief amount of time, I knew when I heard you sharing a couple of those meetings that you were one of the people I wanted to interview for this particular podcast. So I'm really grateful that you joined us today. Well, thank you very much. That's most kind. And I feel the same way. Just listening to you speak, there is a certain calmness, a certain compassion that I hear in your voice. So when we spoke and you asked me to do this, I felt very, very honored to share with others how I ended up with my own seat in this room. Good. Well, we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail in a little while. First, let me say that it's an interesting juxtaposition of guests for me because my last guest, uh, George J., was from Louisiana. He now lives here in Houston. And his story is he started drinking at 12 and got sober at 19, and now he's on the verge of celebrating 40 years of sobriety. Wow. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, I, I believe you said that you stopped drinking relatively late in life. My sobriety date is July 1st, 2012. And by uh -huh. God's grace, come July 1st, I will have nine years of sobriety. Wow. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. So I'm, I'm curious because most of the guests I've had started drinking either in, in their childhood or adolescence or maybe in their college years. And then they became alcoholic at some point along the way before they found AA. Tell me what life was like for you growing up into the years at which you would make a decision to drink. Well, being from New Orleans, I'm not originally from New Orleans. Living with a, a Yankee dad and a very Southern mom, uh -huh. they weren't drinkers, but because of living in New Orleans, Many times I remember probably at 8 or 10 uh, at Thanksgiving or Christmas for the big dinners that we would have, everybody was given um, mm -hmm. a small appetite glass and asked if you wanted to try something, you certainly could. 
which I did, mm-hmm. but I didn't like it, so I didn't even finish it. Mm. I didn't drink until probably I was around 17 or 18. I was getting ready to graduate high school. Even though I was older, we could get, get into bars. The legal age at mm-hmm. that time was 18. And right. I'm very tall and slender and looked older than I was. So I never was ID'd or carded, as the kids say. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't a big thing here either. So I tasted it, but it wasn't that it was something that I did on a normal basis because I also was a very good student, which was very important to me, and I played ball. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't play ball and drink. You're talking about softball? I played volleyball and basketball. Okay. And ran track. So, um, wow. <laughs> and was always on student council, things like that. So I was busy. I didn't really think about drinking. That's interesting. In fact, one of my guests has somewhat of the same type of story where she was very into academics and uh, involved in school activities. And given all that, was there any, uh, any alcoholism in either of your parents' families? As I mentioned, mom and dad uh, would have a drink, but it wasn't every night. They played bridge. Uh-huh. So when couples would come over to play bridge, they usually would have a drink yeah. and it would just sit on the uh, bridge table. Uh-huh. I did learn from my mom who lost her father at a very early age. Mama was just 10 when her dad passed away mm. and he was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So I, uh-huh. I knew that there was alcoholism and she is of Irish heritage. So it was always a joke and, and still is here in the, in uh-huh. the city. You know, Irish people are going to drink. So to know that my grandfather, whom, of course, I never met, was an alcoholic. Uh But there weren't alcoholic people around me. I I didn't know any alcoholics. Yeah. Did your folks uh, or did your mother acknowledge that he was an alcoholic when he died? Or was that something later that you found out and they had other reasons why he passed away? No. From the very beginning, when Mama would share that, that her daddy had died very young, she said, unfortunately, um, my dad couldn't stop drinking and it caused uh, pandemonium sometimes in the house with my, with his wife, my grandmother, who I did, uh-huh. did know. Uh, he uh-huh. just tried. He owned his own business. Mm-hmm. He was a plumber, owned his own plumbing business, mm-hmm. but he just couldn't stay sober and died of alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Mm-hmm. And, and probably at the time that he was drinking, AA was still in its infancy and not readily available uh, in, in a lot of parts of the country just yet. Yes, my mother was born in 1925, so you know how far back then. Right, right. So he, he, he never had the opportunity to be availed of no. Alcoholics Anonymous, which is sad in and of itself, but it's a cautionary tale to his children and grandchildren, isn't it? Yes, it surely is. It surely is. So you took your first drink by in, by your own volition when you were 17. Uh, you went from high school, you went into college after that? I did. Um, I uh-huh. unfortunately stopped in my senior year to uh-huh. finish putting my husband of 53 years uh, through mm. school. Uh, in order for us to get married, 
Um, and uh-huh. at that time, we were old. We were 21 when we got married. Most <laughs> kids were 17, 16 and 17 when they got married. But oh, I, yeah. I stopped a semester shy of graduating uh-huh. so that we could get married and I could help him finish going through school. But because of teaching mm-hmm. school, um, I was able to continue that, and that's how we uh, that's how we we survived was on a teacher's salary while he went through mm-hmm. uh, through school, and it mm-hmm. was we didn't drink. I mean, we'd have maybe mm-hmm. sometimes a six pack of beer, and I didn't like mm-hmm. beer. So until mm-hmm. Boone Farm came on the picture and Ripple, sure. it was we didn't drink a lot, but. We entertained, mm-hmm. we had friends over, but it never was a big deal. If you had something, it was fine, but I, I certainly, that obsession hadn't come. I hadn't crossed that line at that early age yet. So you would consider yourselves normal drinkers over the course of that time until you yes. encountered the disease itself yes. manifesting in your life. So I was going to ask, you know, what did normal drinking look like for you? But it sounds like it's about as normal as it is. People come over, people have a drink, maybe a beer or two. Were any of your friends or the people that you were, you and your husband were associating with, were any of them alcoholic or outwardly heavy drinkers? Did any of these people get drunk and uh, what what was that like? Not at, not at that early age. Um, uh-huh. It wasn't really until... Uh, We had children, and the children Uh were in school, and I was Mm. very involved with the children's school. They went to to private school um, Mm -hmm. because we Mm -hmm. wanted the very best education that we could have for for our children. Um, Uh And again, we didn't do a lot of things that we would have liked to have done or maybe would have been afforded to do because we put our kids into a public school system. And I see. we didn't drink a lot then because we couldn't afford to. I go back now and think these were all the things that God did for me that I couldn't do yeah. for myself. Yeah, isn't that an amazing realization? Yes. Looking back, I'm firmly convinced that we notice God's working in our life much more so in retrospect. Absolutely. Than we do looking forward and we come into AA and we get to hear about other people staying sober and about their spiritual experiences, and it gives us some perspective on our own. So you and your husband live this life, raising children, being involved in the community, having friends, people over, socializing. Does that Yeah, does that that's sum, pretty much it. It, it w- wasn't uh-huh. until, as I was saying, that I was involved not only with our children's schools, but I am a doer, I'm a people pleaser, Uh and if Uh someone said I need someone to do something in an organization, my hand Mm -hmm. went immediately up. I was president of many organizations, Mm -hmm. all volunteer Mm -hmm. organizations in the the Uh city, and Mm -hmm. I I do remember then the, um, I won't say friends, but the acquaintances began Mm -hmm. to change. And most people yeah. at that time, because of their age, were able to yeah. afford to um, to drink. And yeah. so when we did get together for meetings uh-huh. or functions after the meetings or the uh-huh. functions themselves, 
I did now, in retrospect, realize that I did drink more uh-huh. than some, but less than uh-huh. some. I will say I was 65 when I came in. I'm almost yeah. 74 now. And mm-hmm. yeah. I had no idea what that alcoholic was. It was someone drank maybe yeah. more than I, but other than that, I didn't even know enough to say, yeah, I think he's an alcoholic or she's an alcoholic. Was the alcoholic gene from your grandfather passed down to anybody in your immediate family? That's funny because when I came into the program in 2012, I made a phone call to my only living brother and my two sisters. Mm -hmm. I'm the eldest. Yeah. And my brother said, I was waiting for you. He had already been hmm. in the program five years, and I didn't know it. Oh, wow. <laughs> but again, he lives he lives in one of the northern states, and I'm okay. in, in, in New Orleans. I, I had no idea. The other two sisters, huh. no, have never, never huh. exhibited um, any alcoholic drinking to me. I laugh mm-hmm. now. Sometimes I say I think alcoholic behavior, but yeah, that's sure. my own personal opinion for sure. No, there, there's alcoholic behavior and there's alcoholic thinking and there's alcoholic acting out. So when you would get together with your brother, your younger brother, who had five years of sobriety when you got sober, in the years that you saw him, did he ever demonstrate he was either an alcoholic at that time or a heavy drinker, or was it something you just didn't say? No, I, he, I would ask, you know, I'm fixing, I'm fixing a scotch for me. Would you like some Jack Daniels or whatever? And he said, no, I think I'm just going to um, have a cup of coffee or uh, a soft drink. To tell you the truth, I guess that's when I was beginning to be thinking more alcoholically that I didn't even know, because when he said that, I didn't pay any attention to it, except that he said no. Huh, that's interesting. So did he self-identify as an alcoholic to you, or was it something that he was already doing you just didn't see over the years? I, I just didn't see it. I, I, I didn't know. And he's 10 years younger than I am. So, you know, he was, he was still little when I got, you know, when I got married. I didn't see his formative years, his high school years, and it wasn't until later on hearings, you know, from Mama that he just had a hard time and had gotten into, you know, maybe a scrape or two, um, mm-hmm. nothing bad, mm-hmm. but that then he went into one of the armed services and, mm-hmm. again, his life continued to go on, but many, many miles away from me. So I really didn't know. That makes it tough. I've got my siblings all live in other states and uh, one of whom I haven't seen in close to 40 years by oh, his choice oh uh, with the family, which is a, it's one of the ways that his disease kind of played out, not only uh, the alcoholism and drug addiction, but also PTSD, a pretty serious uh, situation. But my sisters, again, they're, they're in other states. So what I know about them and their families, I know only because of what they tell me and or the short brief glimpses I get of them 
when the family does get together over a holiday, and that's not that often. So correct. I can imagine. I can imagine how you would not have known, and and until he disclosed it to you. So as you were going through uh, your life, you did you teach the whole time? Uh, I I taught. Uh, we yeah. had our first child. Came home, and I helped uh, get my husband through law school. Hmm. And then when he finished law school, because of having the second child who was asthmatic, Mm -hmm. our second daughter, Mm. six years later, um, Mm -hmm. she was in and out of the hospital so very much that I just we just decided that it was best if I stay home because I was having to leave school to take care of her. So I didn't think it was fair to do to the children in school that I Mm -hmm. taught, much less my own child to be so disruptive. Mm-hmm. So I I was home then as a stay-at-home mom for quite a few years because my husband then, of course, had finished school and was out practicing uh, law. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until the girls had gone through school and out of college that I knew I couldn't stay home anymore. Uh, being mm-hmm. a homemaker was not my thing. And mm-hmm. I ended up going to do some part-time work as an executive assist- assistant to some architects and mm-hmm. uh, did that for 20 years. What cues were there that were indicating or maybe even disturbing you about your drinking? You know, I guess for being a fairly educated woman, I, I really mm-hmm. was slow on this. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know because I really, when I said I really didn't know what an alcoholic was, my mm-hmm. idea of an alcoholic was the poor man under the bridge in a trench coat, dirty, drinking mm-hmm. out of a paper bag. So, I really yeah. didn't know what an alcoholic other than that looked like. So mm-hmm. I remember times of carrying at one one particular instance, I carried two presidencies of two fairly large organizations at the same time, which was total Hmm. insanity, but I didn't know that. And I Mm -hmm. do remember working so hard, so when I worked hard, I played hard. Mm. And all of a sudden, I remember saying, oh, I don't remember who that was. had to stop a moment and think, and I wrote a note to myself on a Post-it note. Mm-hmm. And I began seeing I was writing more notes on poster notes. And generally it was after five o'clock, which meant that I mm. had started to drink. Mm. But I, I did not think I was any more than a heavy drinker, looking what the book's description of a heavy drinker was. Yeah. Never knowing that this was probably the very beginnings of my alcoholism. But I didn't know what that animal looked like. Yeah. And most people don't until it rears up and bites them, at which point they have a sudden realization. So how many years before you got sober in AA at age 65, how many years before that did you turn the corner from being a, quote, normal drinker to being a heavy or problem drinker? Probably sometime around 2003, I developed breast cancer in 2004. Uh Mm. A daughter was Mm -hmm. married in 2001, and I remember um, Mm -hmm. now not remembering everything, and that's um, that really saddens me. 
was it wasn't everything, mm-hmm. but there were bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Now I have to really stop and go back and and look, and my memory has come back for those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Having cancer in two thousand and four. Again, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. I didn't have anything to drink for almost two years. Mm-hmm. I was going through chemo and radiation. And then mm-hmm. Katrina hit, and Katrina turned everybody's world upside down. Our oldest daughter, who had a uh, our first grandchild, a precious little boy who was barely two, they lost everything, mm-hmm. and they came to live with oh, us dear. and lived with us for two and a half years, in which time she had mm-hmm. her second child. And so that mm-hmm. was two mm-hmm. babies, my husband and I, and she and her husband in, in the one house. And at 5 o'clock, we would have drinks and snacks. And I remember even the little grandson saying, um, drinks and snacks, Juju? Um Although yeah, he's yeah, getting ready to yeah. graduate high school and he doesn't drink, I, I'm not saying he hasn't tried it, but he is not a he is not right, a drinker yeah. because he too is an athlete. Wow! But it wow. was probably sometime after my dad died in 2006 that I knew I was going to be responsible um, and got to be responsible for my mom, and I do remember yeah. the drinking beginning to escalate. But not until close to probably 2010 did my two daughters Mm -hmm. asking if I was not happy or maybe that I didn't need to um, drink so much when I was around them. Do you recall ever telling yourself that it was okay for you to drink because of a particular way you were feeling or a particular event? How, how did you self-justify the heavier drinking? What, what was driving that? Basically, to start off with, because I could. I hmm. never could have afforded to, to drink before, mm-hmm. and now I could. I didn't have cancer anymore. I didn't smoke. I used to laugh and say, that's the only vice I have. I've been married 53 years. I wasn't promiscuous. Uh So drinking was was my entertainment to some extent. And because I finally could. And again, not until I got into the rooms that I have been able to understand, I had to be perfect in everything I did. Mm -hmm. always. Mm -hmm. But I took it on myself to be the best at everything that I did. Mm -hmm. And if I couldn't, I didn't. So did you fall out of perfection with your drinking? Is that what happened? Oh, yes, it didn't. I thought it made me at the top of my game, Uh but it really didn't. It it brought something to me. Mm Mm-hmm that I didn't like about myself. Mm. And therefore, what better way than for Judy not to have to deal with it was then to drink. Yeah. That was all inward. But it was my girls that just the one daughter that's that's, uh, in the medical profession as a doctor said, "Um, Mama, do you think maybe you're an alcoholic? And I said, no. I said, I drink a lot, but I'm not an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But if I think I am, I'll let you know. Now, probably at that time, and that was a couple of years before I finally mm-hmm. came in, I think the seed was planted. But 
I really feel sometimes it wasn't that I was yeah. putting my head in the sand. I really and truly just yeah. didn't know. Something didn't feel right within me, but I just didn't know. This is something that I am so, so vehement about that I want other women, and I say women because guys just seem to know. Hmm. But women that come into the program, even in their late 50s, and think, you know, this can't be happening to me, or what's the matter with me? Uh I'm not good enough. Hmm. And yes, Hmm. you are. We all are, but until we find out that it's alcohol as being a symptom of what's holding us back, mm-hmm. we're going to continue to drink, or I did, because I was yeah. hiding from something, and I can't tell you, Howard, what I was hiding from. Yeah, well, and that's understandable. I mean, we don't know until we know is usually what happens, and that sounds like what happened for you. So the person that you were closest to throughout all these years, the 53 years, did your husband show any concern about your drinking? Did he express that to you at any point? It was probably until, not until, um, probably within those last two years, mm-hmm. Um we would go to a, a particular party every year, and I, and I do remember, and I'd been having trouble mm-hmm. with a knee. So when I was stumbling to the car, it was my knee gave way, not that I drank too much. And uh-huh. he did make mention, but he was my drinking buddy. Okay. I didn't drink outside the home, and he isn't an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So he still has his his drink at night and then mm-hmm. his wine mm-hmm. with dinner. But I have seen him put his glass mm. down and not drink the rest. <laughs> and when I first got sober, it was like, how can you do this? Yeah. How can you not finish the glass? Yes, horrible. <laughs> Somewhere along the way. <laughs> it's a crime. So you hear this from your daughter, who's a doctor. Your husband points it out to you maybe casually and very, very late in the game. Tell me about the two years before you came into Alcoholics Anonymous. It was the older daughter who um, is in in the law profession. And Mm -hmm. she really was the one that was so very instrumental in the ultimum. And telling me, and I still remember, Mom... I'm I'm concerned, and if you want to keep the kids this weekend, I can't have you do it if you and Daddy are going to drink. And she never said me. She said, if you Hmm. and Daddy drink. So we didn't while while Mm -hmm. we had our grandchildren. Hmm. But that was surely a sign that my drinking wasn't the way it should be. Mm -hmm. She gave me the name of someone to go see, Mm -hmm. uh, an outside professional to see why I wasn't happy. Of course, mm-hmm. I said, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, you're not, Mom. Your personality <laughs> yeah. has changed. Again, I didn't know that was a sign of alcoholism, the big personality change. And it was sure. ultimately our oldest mm-hmm. daughter mm-hmm. who gave me the name of my sponsor, who she happened to work with that had been in the program for many, many years. Really? And so that's all God's work that's not mine. Monica, my oldest, was the conduit because of someone that she worked with that was able to say, sure, I'll be happy to meet your mom at a meeting. Were you resistant to it at first, or did you give in very quickly? No. 
I turned the corner coming from my kitchen into my den the night that I told my adult daughters and husband. When I walked into the den, I was crying. It was just another another Sunday night. We'd finished the dishes. I was coming in with a glass of wine to sit. And I told my husband, I said, Ronnie, I just can't do this anymore. I don't know what's the matter. I can't do this anymore. And he said, what are you mm-hmm. talking about? And I said, I think I have a problem with alcohol. I said, I need to talk to my daughters. I need for them to come. And it was like, Judy, it's Sunday night. They're trying to get their kids ready for school. I said, if I don't speak to them tonight, I may not be able to do this. And I don't even know what this was. Hmm. But they did. Both girls that... I'm so grateful they live in the city. Both girls within 20 minutes were over to the house. Mm -hmm. I told them, I said, I think I have a problem with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And they both said, we know, Mama. Uh We know. I went to bed that night knowing that I was going to go to a meeting the following day. And when I woke up the next morning, as if the weight of the world was lifted off of my shoulders, I felt completely different Mm -hmm. on the inside. I looked the same on the outside. Mm -hmm. And I have never had a desire to drink since that night. Hmm. That's amazing. That's a, a great story of other people, people closest to us who care about us, who can make that difference in our life, isn't it? Yes, indeed. So to what extent did you attribute that feeling that you had of the weight being lifted off to a power greater than yourself? Or at that point, were you not considering that? Oh, no, I I knew. I, I have always had a belief in a God, something bigger than I. And mm-hmm. I knew that only God could have done that for me because I had tried and had successfully mm-hmm. stopped drinking many, many times before. But I never, ever could stay Mm -hmm. stopped. And that's what I, too, have learned. If you Mm -hmm. can't stay stopped, chances are you may have a problem with alcohol. I didn't know it then, but I do now. And I had no problem stopping. It was stopped for me. Yeah, I get that. And in the rooms, of course, we hear about people who have either outward or inward expressions pleading for some relief from a higher power, the God help me prayer or the help me stop drinking, dear Lord, or whatever. Did you ever find yourself petitioning your higher power to help you stop or keep you stopped? I guess like many of us do with uh, the day after or morning after a heavy drink the night before, it was like, oh, God, please Mm -hmm. help me. I don't ever want to do this again until it happens again. Hmm. And it did. It would happen again. Mm-hmm. And I did everything in my yeah. power to not let it happen again, from changing drinks to only going to have two drinks, which I did, and I was miserable by the time I got home. Mm-hmm. But never with the same mm-hmm. conviction as that night when I I did. That was the night I surrendered. I didn't have to say the word, I surrender. Mm -hmm. I said, I can't do this anymore. And my God heard me. Yeah, yeah. So you went to AA the next morning. What was going through your mind when you were thinking about going to AA? You mentioned earlier that you thought of alcoholics as the the bum under the bridge and that sort of thing. Did you have any idea of what to expect when you got to AA? No, I really didn't. I had no idea. I didn't know any alcoholics or or no one had 
ever said anything to me about being an alcoholic. I I had Mm -hmm. no idea what the function of AA was. Mm -hmm. When I walked into that room, Hmm. I was amazed because it wasn't all all trench coats in the room. There were lots of nice looking people, (laughs) very young, very old. Mm -hmm. And it was just something so totally different. Mm But when I sat down in the chair and waited for um, my sponsor to come, um, because she was unfortunately running late, a gentleman came to me and said, oh, I know who you're waiting for. Sit right here. She'll see you when when she comes in the door. Mm -hmm. After that, it took me probably a month before I looked up. I jokingly say I can tell what everybody had on Mm -hmm. their feet. I could tell you every shoe that everybody wore, but I didn't look up. And that was hard for me as a school teacher and as a mom, because I always told our girls, you always look someone in the eye when you speak. You learn so much by looking at people right eye to eye, make eye contact. So for me not to do it, I began to understand that I was so ashamed of what had happened but I didn't know what these rooms were going to mm-hmm. do for me, other than I felt okay right. when I walked into the room, and I can't tell you why, but I felt okay. Did your hand go up when they said, are there any newcomers, or did you did that pass you by? No. Um, two people, uh, one in front, one off to the side, said, you're new, aren't you? And I said, yes. And they said, well, Raise your hand and go get a chip. Well, again, being the good, obedient girl I was, I raised my uh-huh. hand, I stood up, and I walked and got a 24-hour chip. Had no idea uh-huh. what that meant, but that 24-hour uh-huh. chip probably is the most important chip I'll ever have in my entire life. I carried it. Yeah. I, li- I slept with it that night. I literally had it in the palm of my hand. Yeah, that's a powerful symbol of surrender, isn't it? Yes, indeed. We'll be right back. My friends, if you're enjoying this show, I invite you to check out the Big Book Podcast, the free audio version of the first and second editions of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's an engaging and inspiring word-for-word reading of all 11 chapters and personal stories, including more than 50 original stories that were left out of the third and fourth editions. If you've never read the first or second editions, these amazing stories will be brand new to you. The Big Book Podcast is read by Howard L., who receives no compensation for this vital service work. Subscribe to the Big Book Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and search for Big Book Podcast. You'll know you've arrived when you see our logo, a first edition Big Book wearing headphones. Or you can visit BigBookPodcast.com and listen there. And share it with your friends, sponsees, and anyone you know who has a desire to stop drinking. It may be the only version of the big book they ever hear. And we're back. So tell me about getting to know your sponsor. Had you ever met her before or seen her before? No, no, I had not. She's a friend of your daughter's, though, huh? Yes. She texted me her her picture. So, of uh-huh. course, I looked for her, and um, Dion also knew um, who what I looked like. And, of course, bless her heart, she just apologized profusely for being late. But I'm thinking to myself, had you not come, 
I'm not sure I would have stayed. And then I really got scared because I wasn't sure if I'd have stayed. But the old Judy mm. got back. Judy doesn't quit anything that she starts. So I knew deep down I was going back. Mm-hmm. And I really couldn't wait to get back. Mm-hmm. And then someone said, you know, this isn't the only meeting that you have. There are a multitude. We mm. have over 500 meetings going on in, in, in the city. You can find one that you're going to want to do and go to. And I did. I started going to mm. more than one meeting mm. a week. And I have been probably going to mm-hmm. anywhere between five and six meetings every week since I got sober. That's amazing. And that's so important. I'm a big believer in the old slogan, meeting makers make it. Yes. Because in the meeting, you're getting to know the things that you need to keep on doing to stay sober and to build a life of quality sobriety. So how did you feel about the program, about its efficacy from the beginning? Did you have faith that the program would work for you or were you just hoping that it would? No, I really did. Um, There was just such a peace within, and I didn't know where it was coming from because I hadn't been peaceful within, and it was I I couldn't figure out why. Mm -hmm. And it probably took me a little Mm -hmm. bit of time because I heard so many stories that were absolutely not mine. Most people weren't older going in. A lot of people had had run-ins with the law, had lost spouses or children mm-hmm. or finances, and I didn't have any of that. I was an at-home drinker, mm-hmm. so I didn't have any of that yet. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until a gentleman mm-hmm. spoke at my home group that said something about having to make sure that he had a drink while he got dressed to go to a function or to go to a party, for him to become Mm. more at ease. And that hit home. Mm. Because it was, I needed something to make Mm. me feel a little bit more me inside, and not that facade that I seem to Mm -hmm. always have to have about being the perfect girl, perfect woman. And Mm -hmm. if I had that drink, that took the edge off, so to speak. That made sense. And Mm. from then on out, when people spoke, I listened for the feelings part or what they were looking for outside of the physical range. Mm -hmm. And I was hooked. So that's a demonstration of looking for the similarities instead of the differences. But that particular similarity sounds like it was the turning point for from the inward Judy to the outward Judy. Is that a... A good assessment. Yes, indeed. Yes. So your sponsor, what did she do with you when in the, the first few months? Did you did she get you on top of the steps right away or reading the book? Oh yes indeed. Yes. We went we went through the steps. Um, of course went starting with, with step one and I and I knew I was powerless over alcohol. I began to realize that uh-huh. as soon as I read the words. Um, the unmanageability mm-hmm. took me a little bit of time um, because I did manage to do everything, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize that I was relying on alcohol yeah. to make sure that I managed those things. So it was that took a little mm-hmm. bit of time, but having had a God, Mm-hmm. Um, before in my life, a power greater than myself, second and third steps came 
relatively easy. Um, of course, it has changed sure. because the God that I had growing up mm-hmm. is not the same idea that I have now. The God of my understanding as a child was a pretty tough God. Um, but that's my Catholic upbringing. Sure. And that's not the church's fault. It was just yeah. the way they, they taught things yeah. back then. Uh, and, and now it's, I've, I've beginning to form more of a God that when I fall, instead of saying you're going to hell, let me take your hand and help you up and let's figure out how we can do it in a different way. That's a kindler, gentler God for me that I, that I have. That's a beautiful realization, isn't it, when it comes forth? Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, yes. But the steps with the, I'm pretty hard on myself. I still tend to do it, not to the extent I did before. So the fourth step, um, Mm -hmm. she um, Dion was good. She said, let's look at the the liabilities and the assets and do it that way. And Mm. that made more sense, more sense to me. Um, My my amends, uh, my looking at people that I had harmed, maybe because of coming in later, maybe because I always tried to do best. I didn't have an extensive list. Mainly it was family. Yeah. Uh, but as we, and as you know, yeah. too, as we yeah. go on in life, things are reminded yeah. to us of something that may have happened in the past that maybe wasn't the nicest thing. And those are the things that now I can go back, and if people are still around, uh-huh. to tell them, look, that was that was kind of a jerk back then. I'm so sorry. Is there something I can do today mm-hmm. to make amends for that? And otherwise, I do make a lot mm-hmm. of living amends. That's basically what I need mm-hmm. need to do on a daily basis, and I'm so blessed to be able to do that. Sounds like you also work a tenth step on a daily basis. If you're doing that, yes, you're staying ahead of any wrongs as they come up. Yes, that's, that's a beautiful I am. way to work a program. Thank you. What was your first anniversary like? You're sitting in the room on your one year anniversary. How were you feeling? Oh my gosh, I I couldn't believe it. I just because there were days when it days would go by so quickly. And then there were days that would go so slowly. And I would hear people that were picking up mm-hmm. 30-year chips. And I'm thinking, oh, God, I'll never make it to 30. And I'm thinking, no, Judy, you may not, because then that's going to put you at 90-something. <laughs> but I don't, I don't, you know, and, I, and I've met in the program a lady that celebrated her 100th birthday and picked up a 35-year chip. You know, so anything's possible. But I, I, I just felt yeah, such yeah. joy. Such um, such relief that this really was a doable program because there's something that changes mm-hmm. inside, and it really is an inside job about getting yourself on the path to recovery. And there certainly are enough people in the program that are more than willing to extend a hand to you to say, here, let me help. Yeah, that's so important, that hand extended is what keeps us all connected, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So when did your hand go out to another woman in the program? When, at what point did you start sponsoring other women? I was not quite a year, and I started raising my hand. Um, uh, but I had, I had finished mm-hmm. the steps within, a, within a, a less than a year's time. 
but I did raise my hand mm-hmm. and nothing happened and nothing happened. And probably I was two or three years, probably closer to three years sober before I finally said, God, if you don't want me to be a sponsor, then tell me what else I need to do to stay active in the program. And mm-hmm. I do stay active. I'm secretary right. in one. I'm president in another. I've always been active. Well, you have to be careful uh-huh. sometimes of what you ask for because I didn't get one. I didn't get two. I got five women. Uh, I had five spots. And I tell you women. what, some of the best sobriety I have had is when I worked with five women at one time. Isn't that amazing? Did they all show up on the same day or was it over a period of no, time? No, <laughs> there were every there were five different days. No, I had two on one day, I take that back. I had two on one day and all the uh, and the other three were all on separate days. That's always amazing to me when guys I sponsor, they're sponsoring one or two people and I suggest a third or a fourth and they say, I don't think I could sponsor all that many people. I said, look, it's in my experience, I've never had a day when all of my sponsees called me at the same time. That's correct. So, That's correct. you know, there's 168 hours in a week, <laughs> and chances are if you've got four or five sponsees, they're not all going to call at the same time. Right, so, right. I love what you just said about the quality of your sobriety being enhanced by being a sponsor. Are the women that you've sponsored, are they out sponsoring other women now too? You know, of the five that I started off, in fact, I had those five, but then I had three before. And not all the women have Mm -hmm. stayed. A couple of them I know have gone off and I have heard through knowing other women in the program. Some have gone on to other, other sponsors, which is great. Some yeah, just don't stay sure. with the program, decide maybe yeah. they're not alcoholic and, and uh-huh. don't stay. But uh-huh. for the women that have stayed with me, um, they all sponsor other women. And that's a real, that's, that's a real beautiful. tribute to the program that we do. It does just follow down from, from one person to the other with that helping hand. It, it truly does. Uh-huh. Yeah, it sounds like you have made a real effort to practice the mechanics of the program, which tell us to do certain things like going to meetings, like getting a sponsor and working the steps with that sponsor, sponsoring other people, being available for others. These are all things that I think assure long-term sobriety, and that's what you have now. Yes. Eight years is a long time. In that eight-year period, can you think of any times where things have happened in your life that you've had to lean on the program a little bit more so, or even times when maybe you thought that you couldn't stay sober or couldn't stay sane in a situation the way it was unfolding? Again, I'm, I've, I've really been blessed. I, I was two years sober when um, I had a foot surgery. And not being able to get mm-hmm. out to go to meetings was very difficult. Again, through the grace of my God, he ensured me that I was going to be okay. I knew it within. But I made huh. calls to other women and said, I can't get out yeah. for three months on my foot. I had women mm-hmm. that would come mm-hmm. and, and bring me food, but most importantly would bring me a meeting. Oh, wow. So that w- that wow. saved me. That's wonderful. 
within an 18-month period, the screws in my foot broke, and I had to do it all over again. And with that, I reached out again, and it was... Mm -hmm. And I learned, too, with, with reaching out to people, you can say, I'm not real happy with having to call you because you've done this for me already. Right. But I'm really getting angry with my God because he's allowed this to happen. And when I said that, I told my therapist at one point, I can't, yeah, I'm not supposed to get angry with God. And her response was, you know, if you're going to get angry with anyone, that's one person that really can handle it and won't take it back out on you. <laughs> True. And it, and it made sense, which right. then again enabled me to ask for help, which I know now is humility, uh-huh. that I don't have to. I can't right. do it all by myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That and when my mom died a year and a half ago, I never once wanted to drink. Mm. But I had certainly many people that called to check on me to make sure that I was okay Mm -hmm. and that if I needed something. But I really have been blessed, Howard. I have not once, you know, yet ever wanted to leave the program and or pick up a drink. Mm -hmm. But I ask every morning. I get on my knees and I thank God for the night Mm -hmm. before and I ask him for the grace of sobriety for today. And I truly believe that's what keeps me sober. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like you stay right in the middle of the program, too. I do. I do. Yeah, I think that's so important. I suggest that to people all the time because sometimes you don't know you're backing away from the program until you've got one foot over the cliff. And uh, I'm a firm believer that staying in the middle is the only place to stay if you really want anything like an enriched life, which it sounds like you've got an enriched life from Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes, that's a true statement. Absolutely. I, I really and truly am blessed. I won't say that my family understands that. And every morning that I read the St. Francis right. prayer about, you know, to understand rather than to be understood, I have to remind myself mm-hmm. of that because I want them to get it, but I don't want them to be an alcoholic mm-hmm. to get it. <laughs> so it's sort of a two-edged yeah, sword, yeah. but I, I truly am blessed. Mm. So you've shared all of this with people in meetings, and now we're in Zoom. How has that affected your program over the past, say, 11 or 12 months? I can't tell you how grateful I am for Zoom. I would really, mm-hmm. I think, to some extent, be struggling. I have a really good, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, prayer life. I, I spend, I have the luxury of being able to spend an hour or more every day since I'm retired Wow! with prayer and meditation. And that is the basis for keeping my program alive. But not being able to see another alcoholic, I think would be very, very detrimental to my program. And Zoom has been a godsend. I have been in the house since last February when I had a shoulder surgery. So I haven't been 
it, I don't go to church except on the TV. I don't go to grocery stores except to have them put them in my trunk. Mm-hmm. So we really have isolated in order to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Without Zoom, I, I can't say yeah. that it's got to be easy for the newcomer coming in. But for someone like myself, it really is a godsend. Oh, yeah. I, and, I, and I think with the way our society is, yeah. what a beautiful way to get to those mm-hmm. people that really can't get out, regardless of the pandemic or not. I think Zoom was put here for more than just the pandemic. I truly do. Yeah, it's hard to imagine what going through all of this would have been like 40 years ago when a phone call to somebody who's on the phone gets you a busy signal. Yes. <laughs> how we how we would have been able to stay in touch. So the only thing I miss on Zoom because of the way it's set up is the spontaneous laughter that breaks out in an AA meeting. Yes, yes. When, when somebody says something that is just hilarious, it almost seems like nobody's laughing, but... That's the time at which I look at people's faces because the faces don't lie. If you were in an elevator with somebody who was clearly an alcoholic and you were on this elevator ride with this individual who said, I'm alcoholic and I I don't know whether or not I want to go get help or whether or not I want to go into AA, what would you tell them during that elevator ride about AA? Oh, wow. Um, I think I would tell them, you know, I thought that aloud to myself on many occasions, but you know what? I'm glad I listened to someone else that said, AA can do for me what I can't do for myself right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'd like to find out a little bit more about what we do and that we really are people that want to live a life better than the life perhaps we're living right now. I'm not afraid to lose my anonymity if it means helping someone find a spot if they belong in our rooms. I think fear played mm-hmm. such a role yeah. in me not perhaps coming in before Although I know, again, that we come in when it's time for us to come in. But I still believe that Mm -hmm. alcoholism is a disease that is frowned upon yet. People don't really necessarily believe that it's a disease. Mm -hmm. Sure. We are going to have people, I think, that are Uh going to be afraid to say something out loud without fear of being branded. And I don't care. If I can help somebody, yeah, I don't yeah, care. Yeah, it's not it's not my business to know and care what you care yeah. about me. That's hard for me to learn, but I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great thing. I'm the same way. I have at times told myself, well, maybe it's been because I've been sober so long that it doesn't bother me. But I also realize that I would rather go out on a limb and help try and save somebody's life Yes. Then not go out on that limb and wish I had, because the wish I had part sticks around for a long time. The trying and doing, even if you fail at it, the person goes to their own demise. At least I would have been true to myself and my program. So I really honor you for that kind of frame of mind. It's a, it's a just a lovely way to think and makes me appreciate you all the more for, for what you're doing in your program and 
I've thoroughly enjoyed spending time with you today. This has just been a, a real uh, nice experience, and you're a lovely person, and I love you. And, uh, and I can say that because I know that that is what AA is all about. It's about unconditional love and acceptance. And if it wasn't, then the personalities would get in the way of the principles, and we'd find ourselves out on the street once more. So I want to thank you for doing this today. The feeling is so very mutual. I, to be able to spread the word in any way, shape, or form mm-hmm. that we can, to hopefully at some point spare someone the full brunt of what alcoholism does alcoholism kills it truly does and it doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily have to be by a physical death as it was for me coming in i was slowly dying on the inside the inside out and to spare someone from having to have that feeling of hopelessness Mm -hmm. taken away it is attainable if you allow if you allow help yeah, that's our responsibility pledge, that whenever anybody anywhere reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA to be there, and for that I am responsible. Absolutely. You are a joy. You truly are well, a joy. Thank you. thank you so very much. I enjoyed every minute of it. I truly did. Thank you, Judy, and I look forward to seeing you in more of meetings that we go to together on Zoom. Well, my friends, that's it for AA Recovery Interviews. I'm thankful you tuned in. If you've enjoyed AA Recovery Interviews, please share it with your fellow AAs, sponsees, friends, loved ones, and anyone else seeking a rich and meaningful listening experience. Tell them how to subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and other podcast providers. I'd be grateful if you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help others find us. Visit our website, recoveryinterviews.com, where you can listen to every show, Share your comments and also contact us. And if you want to email me, it's howard at recoveryinterviews.com. By the way, to get in touch with Alcoholics Anonymous, simply visit aa.org. The next episode of AA Recovery Interviews is on the way, so keep coming back. It'll be here soon.